chapter. Let me just read you one verse. If I look to the left or right, if I look up or down, Father, you are there. Wherever I go, you are our protector, our strong deliverer. You surround us like a wall that is thick and cannot be penetrated. When the enemy wants to shoot arrows at us, the wall is so thick, they bounce off and fall to the ground. That's a pretty good start for a psalm that they um, constructed together. So that will be available uh, to you um, next week. All right, good. Well, <clears throat> let's continue through this series that we're working on from, through 2 Samuel. <clears throat> Let me just remind you again. <clears throat> we're not kind of doing a, a, a theological study where we're seeking to analyze every word or every verse. Uh, we're really going through this using, basically as God intended it be used. God intended it was used as a way of him speaking to us. Uh, one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is through his word. And that's not about learning verses off by heart as much as uh, being open to let him apply what is in this story or in something that we read to apply it to us. Uh, being open to, to listen. Which brings us back to what we were saying earlier on. The ability to hear is something that God gives us. The ability to somehow cut out other sounds and even the thunder <laughs> uh, and uh, to hear over and above what, what God is saying. Um, over and above any other sound. And that's what we, we want to do because we're here to meet with God, not to have a meeting as though it's something that happens in isolation from the actual point of meeting with God. Very important. <clears throat> so this is uh, <clears throat> interesting. We'll see how far we get in this chapter. Chapter 6 to Samuel. Basically a story of David bogging it up and getting it completely wrong and then gets a second chance and gets it right. But there is a kind of fallout. There are consequences which uh, <clears throat> should help us not go through life with the idea, oh, what the heck, if we get it wrong, you know, get a second chance, because there are consequences and there is a fallout from that. What I always think about David, and I mean, he really did, did some great things, but he messed up big time, and as we go through, we'll see more about that. But did it not say that, did not God say he's a man after my own heart? Did he not say that? But I mean, what a mess he made at times. And it, it caused a lot of life. But he was a man after God's own heart. Why was that? How was that? Because he was open to be corrected and to put it right. He was open for change. He was open for transformation. And you know, guys, God is not so concerned about the mess that we might be making of things or the mess that we're in. He's more concerned with our willingness to be real and to be honest and to admit that so that he can help us put it right, get it right, and get sorted. 
So let's have a look at this as we go through. Read a few verses together so we get the context of the story. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Baalah of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark, the, the enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. In essence, what we're talking about there, just keep that in mind, don't get too caught up with the size of it or the shape of it or the carvings on it or whatever. It's the representation of the presence of God. That's how it was uh, in those times. God was represented by this ark. <clears throat> they set the ark on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahiah, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahiah was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, cymbals. When they came to the, thr the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there because, beside the ark of God. At which point you breathe a sigh of relief that we are under the new covenant, not under the old covenant. Under the new covenant, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is redemption. Under the old covenant, there is punishment and death. So be glad. Look happy. You know, it could be worse. Yeah? And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. So let's have a look at that and see what God would be saying to us through that. Taking the first part, brought together, out of Israel, chosen men. People who were actually chosen, personally chosen. Chosen not because they were special, but became special because they were chosen. Anybody here been chosen by God? Hmm? What does it make you? Well, there's two of us believe that. Yeah. Let's have a look at that clip, please. Thank you. Well, there's a thought. He chose all of us. Doesn't mean to say everybody has responded to that choice, but that's his his choice. Uh, that he wants all of us. In fact, he actually says in his word, he's not willing that any should perish. He's basically he's chosen. Now, <laughs> sometimes it's easier to think that on certain people that God might have chosen. More difficult because you kind of know how you are and you kind of know how you've been and you kind of know what you like. The idea that God could have chosen you 
Do you remember the famous poster? Uh, was it Earl Haig, Lord Haig? Where's my historians? Lord Kitchener, sorry. Thank you very much. And it's the most amazing... You, you know what I'm talking about? That famous poster that was a recruiting poster, yeah? And, and it's the most amazing thing because wherever you look at it, it looks as though it's pointing right at you. Your country needs you. I always think about that when I think about God has chosen you. Takes a little bit of, hmm, nah. Yeah. God's chosen you. Yeah. Chosen you for purpose. I kind of want to break out into a song. I'm special because God has loved me. See, for now, I, I want to believe the best of you, but there's a little suspicion that you persisted with that just to make sure that I didn't. <laughs> Special. God has chosen. Chosen for a purpose. Accepting that I've been personally chosen. See, if we really engage with that, see, let's just imagine that um, I was chosen to play for England. All right. No, f not tiddlywinks. <laughs> Football. I would, it would have an effect on me. I would enter into training and fitness more seriously than I do already. I would hone my skills. I would, I would prepare. Lynn Coles, will you behave yourself? You know, the truth of the matter is, if we really could come to accept that we're chosen, we're chosen for purpose, it really does affect how we feel and what we do. Personal responsibility. The heart to engage, to take responsibility. You know, I think sometimes... The issue of engaging, and I'll give, as we go through, we'll look at some of the ways, but the issue of engaging is not so much to do with, oh, I don't know if I can do it. It's actually to do with, I am responsible to do it. It is my, I, I've been appointed for this task. You know, very often we kind of, oh, well, I, I would have done, but I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to do it. That can be a bit of a smokescreen. The idea of being accorded a responsibility, knowing that we're chosen, must make a difference. And it's got to be the starting point. So I, I ask the question again, you know, could you believe? Could you accept that God has chosen you? I'm not talking about chosen you to sit in a meeting like this. This is good. It's fun. It's 
got to be of value, otherwise we shouldn't do it. But basically, chosen you to be a representative of himself. Chosen you to show what he's like. Chosen you to react and respond in ways which demonstrate what he's like. I mean, it's a bit of a hefty responsibility if you really take the point that he's chosen you. And I, just a little follow-up question. If he hadn't, do you really think you'd be sat sitting here right now? It's worth, worth thinking about. God's chosen us. Chosen us for purpose. They were to be those who brought up the ark, the representation of the presence of God. What we need to understand, remember, that this ark, this representation of the presence of God, had been in Israel for quite a while. Right? It wasn't in Jerusalem, but it was there in Israel. But it's basically being ignored. It was ignored. I mean, it's difficult to really comprehend this, that 70 people peeped in and got killed on one day just for looking in. Now, you would kind of think that would be a news item, wouldn't you? It would sort of go the rounds. But even though they were, they were aware it was there, that people died for looking in on it, and we're talking essentially about the manifestation of the presence of God, an awareness, a familiarity, but essentially ignored. Amazing how we can be casual about something that we know. We know that the presence of God can be accessed. We know that God promises to presence himself when we come together in his name. But ignoring that, not actually consciously according that that is what's happening, that we're drawing near to meet with God, boy, that's a possibility, but not a good idea. So although the ark was there, it hadn't been uh, accessed uh, up until this point. Clearly, under David's leadership, David's direction, very significant, they are going to make a big deal of it, and they surely did. And it was important that they were all involved. It was a, a, a corporate thing. Uh, you didn't need 30,000 people to carry the ark. But they were all involved. It was the manifestation of this, uh, of this corporateness that, that thrills and pleases the heart of God. Uh, remember, um, God gave the law to Moses, and Moses made it the possession of the people. Um, Jesus came, uh, the Christ, that there should be many Christed ones. It's the very nature of God always towards the corporate. And so... Here we have the people coming together. You know when we, when we pray for me or somebody else and we send them out, we talk about, yeah, that person's going, but really we all are. That sense of engagement in the purpose. Some of you work in Lifeline Community Projects. Not all of us, but we hold that in our heart as something that 
what we are engaged in, reaching into the world around about us. And I'm trusting <clears throat> in coming days to be seeing and sharing with you very interesting developments as we pursue that course that God has given us over these many years. And so there's this corporate act of people coming together. They're not all carrying the ark, but they're engaged in it. Are you with me? I mean, they're all engaged in this, in this great act of worship, but they're not all carrying it. But they're definitely not spectators. And you know what? God does not want spectators. He wants people who are actively involved. Actively involved, seizing the opportunity, bearing the responsibility. And that's what he's looking for. They were not all in, engaged in carrying the ark, not all doing that one thing, but all very much involved in what was going on. Entering into the purpose, not a spectator. Jeremy, you had a... Come, can you come? You had a, a little sort of real-life experience of this. Jamie was telling me about it. He's obviously been talking about you um, the other day. Can you just tell us? Because I don't want us to be thinking just about a story long ago and a, a kind of pictures of an ark and a big sort of celebration without relating it to how that can be in our present actual position. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I was just really thinking about kind of what this uh, story, what bearing it had on my own life, um, and thinking about this kind of uh, procession of kind of 30,000 people going up to, to retrieve the ark. Um, and I was thinking, my mind just went back to um, First Tuesday Prayer. I was thinking that for me, that was a really significant time, and I think it was for other people as well. And I was kind of noting the similarities between uh, what happens at First Tuesday Prayer and what happened with this group of people going to get the ark, um, in the sense that you know, it's an opportunity for us as a, a body of people to gather together and to seek God together and to experience his presence um, and to kind of be on the front line of what God is doing for us as a church, um, just as these uh, chosen people are on the front line as well. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I was just quite challenged because I think often it's easy for me to make excuses for myself and think, oh, I'm too tired to be there, or I, I don't really need to be there, or I've got other things to be doing. And often in the past, I've kind of, I've not gone for that reason. Um, but last Tuesday, I kind of was there, and I felt that it was kind of a victory in me just being there, because I could access what, what God had for me. Mm. Um, and that was part of me kind of accepting who I was as a chosen person mm. of God. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. See, a very, very basic... Um, simple thing, but it was about proactive engagement rather than just, well, I am, but I'm not kind of attitude. One of the things that I want to just come back on from last Tuesday was that it seemed again that God underlined to us this whole issue of fathering, representing his heart in, in our world, in our community, as God gives us opportunity. And if we talk about how we can be proactive, um, it's amazing how, and this particularly applies for the guys, how a small um, input can have such a profound effect as we catch God's heart. And of course, that applies to anything. 
just a little thing, as we hear God and do it, can make such a profound difference because it's not about what we do, but it's about the doorway that opens up for God's power and God's presence. The Bible talks about you can give a cup of water in the name of Jesus and you have a, a kind of opportunity to be a means of conveyance of something supernatural, something spiritual, something which communicates the heart of God. See, it's not in the um, amazing nature of the act. It's in what God, as we simply are obedient to him, what he actually kind of pushes across the bridge of that as he does what only he can do. We are obedient to him and he does the rest. Okay, so uh, David gets this idea. We get this new cart. Um, and uh, then we see that really didn't, wasn't what God wanted. Uh, new ideas, not necessarily the answer. Uh, we have to beware um, that just because something is new, it doesn't necessarily make it right. It's not necessarily, God's not necessarily looking for new systems. Um, you know, we embrace and we appreciate uh, all sorts of technological advance. We mustn't think that that ever becomes a substitute for our hearts being open to God and God uh, doing what he wants. And uh, technological advance was not helping here. In fact, it was basically picking up the way that the Philistines did it. The Philistines moved the ark on a cart and they, David just goes and does the same thing. And even a new cart, frankly, doesn't do it because that's not what God wants. Uh, we live in a time uh, over these last maybe 10 years or so where a strange phenomena has developed which is not healthy. And the phenomena I'm talking about is what I call manufactured praise. It's something that has developed out of a recognition of the importance of it, but the idea that we can actually uh, have the right sounds, uh, have the right songs, make the right succession of things, and it kind of produces what we're really believing that God wants. Manufactured praise is nothing that in the realm of what God wants. We have to be very careful. Uh, and I don't know whether you've had the same opportunities that, because I'm out and about and around, I sometimes get exposed to this and it's very false, but it looks very good. I remember being at a conference uh, a while ago and uh, the only way I could describe it was uh, a very clever system of uh, songs and music and what have you to produce a certain effect. But of course it just completely removes the element of the supernatural, that this is for God, not for us. And this is, this is what's required. God has to be involved in this. Uh, you can't manufacture it, otherwise it becomes something less than supernatural. So we have to tread an important and careful course to make sure that what we're doing is something that is very much from our hearts. And let's, while we're on that subject understand that there is no shortcut 
to the presence of God. The Bible instructs us that time and time again. But let me just remind you of something. We looked at this a while ago. I was just looking at it again in the message. It's Amos chapter 5. Um, this is God speaking. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. All right, this is in the message, all right? It's paraphrased. It's not exact, but it's not very far out, okay? I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image-making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? And I can't resist when we come to that. I've got to turn back to the NIV. This is what he wants. He says, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Guys, let's not kid ourselves. We can come to a meeting and we can praise God. But if that is not in line with the rest of our lives, it's like a, a sounding timbre, symbol. It's, it's just hollow. It, it's not, so it's just as important that we see worship. Worship is drawing near to God or to take the original and to give it its closest application, it's drawing near to kiss. It's, a, it's an intimate thing. <coughs> it's a close thing. It's a heart thing. But it's not necessarily a song thing. It's not necessarily a meeting thing. It's, it can be as we reach out to somebody in the community. Paul was talking to us a little while ago about Festival Central. It could be as we touch somebody there with God's love, as we actually demonstrate. See, it has to affect the totality of our lives. It's not something that we switch on. Frankly, if it's something that we switch on, then it's understandable why it's a empty and hollow uh, and fairly useless. Now, we don't want to end up at all in the realm where God is saying things like that. I can't stand your meetings. You know? I don't want to be in that place. I want to be in the place where what we are doing is an expression of our lives, an expression of our heart, and true to the way we live. But let's understand, unless it is, then we best develop the pseudo as a cover-up. Well, none of us want to go there. It's not a place that we are interested in being. And so we turn aside from that. And to what does God want? He wants us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Yeah? There's worship described. There are other scriptures as well, particularly from Psalm 51. See, let, let's understand, David meant well, his intention was good, but he didn't get it right. It wasn't acceptable to God. He'd used his common sense and did it like the Philistines did, but bogged up along the way. Actually, to come back to what we were talking about earlier, he really failed to ask the second question or to be conscious to the second question. He knew that it was right to bring the ark back. His intention was right, 
But he left out, and in fact he had the answer because it's described very clearly how the ark is to be carried. He left that out. He missed stopping to say, but, but how do you want this to be? And of course, in the kingdom of God, the end does not justify the means. God's very focused on the means. And uh, you can't shortcut that. The how or the why is actually more important than the destination. That's why, you know, when we talk about vision, we talk far, far more about how we are than where we're going. We've never yet come up with a vision which is about so many numbers or so many tasks achieved by a certain time. Because it's far more important that vision is expressed in how we are rather than simple things of where we'd like to be going. 1 Samuel 15 tells us that obedience is much better than sacrifice. That is what God requires. And you know, let's not fall into this trap. Yeah, I know what God wants, but you know, uh, he wants me to... Let's take this from the story before. Uh, yeah, I know God has said to, to attack the Philistines. Yep, I know. I've got the will of God. I know what to do. So, you know... Just waiting now. But then you're waiting in disobedience. No, no, I'm just waiting for the second question. I'm waiting to get the answers. Well, yeah, but if you use that as an excuse for not fulfilling the first, then you're living in a place of disobedience. The expectation has got to be that as we step out, we're asking God, how do you want it to be? Oh, well, uh, go straight up another time. Wait for the sound. But to actually do nothing, to actually to, to sit there in, in splendid passivity would be actually to end having the direction but ending up in disobedience because not actually doing anything about it. So it has to be something that's on the move. So did all this stuff, big deal, all the instruments, people, so on and so forth, just missed out on the issue of obedience. And it was a great celebration. They were involved and outwardly impressive. And uh, that's fair enough. You know, recognize that you're actually accessing the presence of God um, is a big deal. But you see, he says, if you honor with your lips and not with your heart, you miss the deal. It might look impressive on the outside. It can be a lot of noise. It can be a lot of visibility. But if it's not the heart, it doesn't work. So, guys, how are we going to process this? Otherwise, just sit and listen, and you pick up some of the things I say. According to what researchers say, you'll pick up maybe 10% of what you hear. Of course, when you're listening to me, it's far more than that. I realize that. But how are we going to process it? See, we've got to process it as we're going through. To what extent are my lips doing it, but not my heart? To what extent do I need an adjustment in this so that I'm entering in? To what extent does my life need to come into line with what I'm demonstrating when I'm kind of together with the saints of God in a place of praising God.
See, these are the processing questions as we go through. And so we see that Uzzah, by the way, interesting, that name means strength. So he, his name means strength and he uses his strength in that situation. He makes a, a wrong interference. Uh, it wasn't the correct procedure. 1 Chronicles 15 tells us it should be carried uh, by the priests, by the Levites. Uh, they, how many should carry? It should be on poles. Every six steps they should sacrifice. I mean, it's a very, very clear procedure uh, already laid out that should be followed. But they didn't do it. Wasn't the correct procedure. And you kind of, you know, you got to feel a bit sorry for Uzzah, haven't you? You know, he was the, he was the fool guy in the situation. I mean, to be honest, if God hadn't dealt with him, they would have carried on in error. They would have carried on in a, a wrong way. But God dealt with him and that gave them all an opportunity. And you see, Uzzah had grown up with the ark. It had always been there. Uh, it had been around him. He'd grown up with it. So he was, to him, it, yeah, it's just the ark, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's always been like this. The issue of familiarity breeding contempt is very dangerous. We get used to something, and it, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's what happens. And we fail to actually access and see the significance of accessing God's presence. Because we're used to it. So how it happens. It's what goes on. Very dangerous. Familiarity breeds contempt. Well, <clears throat> David gets angry. Uh, and then in verse 7, uh, having been angry, um, and Uzzah dies, in verse 8, um, speaks about David's anger. In verse 9, talks about David being in fear. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord being something that is a rescue situation. I want to just kind of look at that for a moment. Um, this issue of the fear of the Lord. As applied to this situation... I mean, look, let, let's be real. There's not one of us that at some point or other hasn't sort of said, God, that was an own goal, wasn't it? What the heck are you doing? Or possibly we might even admit there's been a little thing or a little time or a big thing where we'd say we were pretty peed off with God angry even not a good place to be agreed not a good place to be to be angry with God you didn't do what I felt you should do you were asleep in the boat when you should have been looking after us you know see let's come back to what we said before David, a man after God's own heart, gets angry with God. Basically bogs it up big time. And yet, because of his openness and willingness 
and honesty and readiness to repent and change, he still is described by God as a man after my own heart. So we got two options. Yeah, I really, really blown this. Oh, now I can remember when I was uh, angry with God. Or I, actually, to be honest with you, I've still got a little bit of a reservation. Um, you can either say that disqualifies me, or you can say, you know what? This is not a good plan because this is this is kind of separating me from the very person that can help me. So you know what? I'm going to, by his grace, turn from this anger. So I'm asking you the question. Because there's no point. Unless we're going to process this stuff. Are you angry with God? Is there some area where you kind of marked him down? Where you, could have, where you told him how he could have done better? Is this the time when you let go of that? And say, Lord, I choose by your grace not to hold anything, not to be angry, not to hold any resentment. I don't want anything to come between us. There's an opportunity to do that. I can't do that for you. All I can do is bring it to you and the Holy Spirit will help you because it's his work to convict of sin and righteousness will show you. And it's your choice to be honest and to be real. Not a good plan. I guess probably not as bad as not being bothered one way or the other. I think that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. Yeah, it didn't really matter. That's not how God wants us to be. That's a good place, an important place to repent of. See, the fear of the Lord here is worked out on the basis of doing what he wants rather than what I want. Now, whether we apply it to this act of worship or anything else, I think I told you this story before. Um, as the kids were growing up, Nathan uh, used to be the one that liked to help me. And, uh, I mean, I'm not saying the others did. It's just that um, Jamie was younger, and Daniel's help came in a different form. You know? So Nathan, the practical one. So Dawn is out one Saturday, and I decide that um, what she really wants is a nice rockery garden built in the middle of the patio area. And so um, I have more of a supervisory role, really. And so Nathan is moving these big rocks across and these, uh, these barrel loads of soil and we build this rockery, and uh, we have a wonderful time doing it. And then Dawn comes back, and she says, what's that? I don't want that stuck there. And I'm really peeved. I mean, I, in the form of Nathan, have done all this work. So we cart it all back again. And the realization came to me, although I was saying I was doing it for her, I was actually doing it for me or for us. Oh, it was presented as I'm building this rockery for you, my love. But actually, it was what I wanted to do. 
And the fear of the Lord in this situation is most clearly expressed as we choose not to do what I want to do, but to do what he wants me to do. Remember, it was a good thing, big deal. It just wasn't in obedience. It just wasn't in submission to him. David was afraid, but seems he still wanted and still desired the presence of God, so he goes for a second try. Um, as far as the ark is concerned, comes back to realize, says it in Psalm 51, that you can't actually worship without sacrifice. Sees at the house of Obed-Edom. Let me just read that little bit to you so that you've got the context. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. You know, so he said, look, I'm just going to drop this off here. I am not taking this any further. And you think it's an imposition, but he's actually just parked the presence of God there. And of course, everything to do with the household of Obed-Edom gets wonderfully blessed. And he said, oh, wait, wait a minute, I know why I wanted that ark back in Jerusalem in the first place. Because this is what God um, does when things are where he wants them to be. His blessing could flow. So it can't be done on the cheap. It can't be done any other way. It has to be God's way. Um, so, the issue here, here's another question. The issue here is centralizing. Remember the presence, the ark was there in Israel, but nobody was paying attention to it. The issue here is, is centralizing, focusing on the presence of God. So here's the question. How could we do that? How could we more centralize on the presence of God? Where, the place where you inquire of the Lord. How could we do that? Well, I could give you a moment or two to talk about that. Why not do that? If the person next to you is sleeping, wake them up gently. Don't, don't shake them, all right? Nasty to be woken up suddenly. How could we centralize? How could we focus? How could we... What, what change would need to take place to get more focused, to get the presence of God being the most central thing? You can talk to the person next to you. If you don't like the look of them, turn the other way. All right. It, it looks from your conversation as though you've come up with some thoughts and ideas on that. Yeah? I'm not going to ask you to feedback now, but who, who got some thought and idea on that? Yeah? A number of people. Okay. So, fat lot of good that is unless we put it into operation. You know? It's not just a kind of theoretical idea. The idea is if you get, yeah, you know what? We could do this. This would be a way of actually inquiring of the Lord. This would be a way of accessing the presence of God. And if that kind of, yeah, I've got that, 
It's then your responsibility to actually do that. See, look, here's, we're not looking. They were, they were stuck with God basically in a box where the box was House of Obed-Edom, good news. All right? Get it back in Jerusalem. But we, under the new covenant, have access to the presence of God everywhere and at all times. Yeah? Even in the lavatory. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere and at all times we have access. Do you know it's possible to access the presence of God on the M25? Yeah. Well, that's the goodness of God. It's very interesting to see that last week, remember, we saw that uh, humility allowed them to basically attack and overcome the enemy. You know humility when they had to go up the, up the lavatory chute to, to, to get entry to the city, being prepared to, to humble themselves. Very interesting to see that humility allowed them to follow through what God was giving them to do. And God's presence at the ark allows them to come into a place of unity and oneness. It somehow changes the very heart and the very being. It welds together. And then they can celebrate with all their might. And I guess that would be my, my resting place for this week. I wonder what it would be like to celebrate with all our heart. We understand, we understand from what we've looked at today, that outside of God's help, outside of God's presence, outside of God the Holy Spirit doing more than we could ever do, that's not possible. Celebrate with all our heart. Is that what I said? What might it look like to celebrate with all our heart, with all our might? Well, the starting place, it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be from the heart. Otherwise, with our lips, we praise Him. With our hearts are far from us. We get the same condemnation as the Pharisees got.